uh, and just jump in there. If you, this is your first time to a Wednesday night service, uh, let me just kind of draw a contrast. On Sunday, we speak in a, a particular series. We'll talk about a particular subject for three or four weeks, and then we'll shift gears. We'll talk about a different subject for three or four weeks. On Wednesday nights, however, what we do is we take one book of the Bible and we just plow through it. And so since the beginning of the year, January 1st, we've been going through the prison epistles, which are four books of the Bible that Paul wrote while he was in prison. We've already gone through Ephesians, we've already gone through Philippians, now we're going through Colossians, and next is Philemon. And so it's really cool because here this guy is, he is in prison, in prison eating whatever they serve in prison. Not real good food, but he's in prison, but he's still operating in his gift. The reason why that just blows me away is I have a tendency, I don't know about you, when I'm having a bad day or if I'm in a rough season, all of a sudden I get laser focused on my issue and I'm no longer as effective uh, in other areas of my life because I'm so laser focused on my issue. But Paul, uh, he did, he was just as or almost as effective when he was in prison. And so that just really inspires me. You know, I don't want to be that guy that hell looks at and says, ah, just send him a bad day and we'll slow him down. I don't want to be that guy. Um, and uh, so let's just learn from him and let's continue to glean. Uh, in chapter 3 of Colossians, um, he talks about having this new life uh, available to us. In other words, while... Uh, before you had a relationship with Jesus, you had one type of mentality. Uh, you lived a certain way. You acted a certain way. And then all of a sudden, when you give your life to God, you start acting a certain way. You think a different way. And additionally, you have this anointing or this presence of God on you that wants to unveil his assignment on your life, which is just awesome. Uh, when you ask a kid, what do you want to do when you get big? Typically you hear fireman, policeman, um, teacher, nurse, whatever. Um, but when you give your life to God, you realize, yes, you still have goals. And um, you do aspire to achieve certain uh, goals in your life. But you also realize that there's something going on in parallel. That God has an assignment for your life. And this is a new life. This is something that we embrace and we say, okay, I might be a policeman or I might sell snow cones at the snow cone stand, but God has an agenda. He has a plan for my life. And, and Paul encourages this. So basically what, what we do on Wednesday that's a little bit different from Sundays is we take a chapter and we just go through it. Uh, now, I believe this chapter has uh, 21 verses in it. So we're not going to go through all 21, but I did pull out about six. Let's start off with the first one. Are you guys ready? Well, let me pray first. Father, we love you so much. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just cause your word to come alive. This is just a book, just like any other book in Barnes & Noble, unless your Holy Spirit causes it to come alive inside of us. Lord, let it pierce between the bone and the marrow. 
convicting us of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Can everybody say amen real loud? Amen. Amen. Real loud. One, two, three. All right. You sound good. I know you're tired. I'll do all the work. Don't worry about it. All right. Here we go. Chapter, let's see. Chapter three, verse one. It reads like this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. So let's just unpack that thought for a second. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying, look, you have a new life. You're not the old person. You're not that guy anymore. Um, How many of us, just by the raising of your hand, uh, you can remember the season of life when you were not pursuing God? Just raise your hand. You can remember that. Now, when you think back on that person, doesn't that person seem like a completely different person? When you think back on them, like I look back on that old Frankie before I got serious about God. I had hair then, so that was cool. Uh, I had curly, curly, curly hair. Um, I know some of you don't believe that, but yeah, at, at one point in my life, I did have really curly hair. In fact, I had hair just like yours, and I know your name, your Ann's son. Uh, I forgot. What is it? Logan. Logan. Logan, stand up real quick. I had hair just like Logan, just like Logan. It was so curly. You know how, I don't know how you do it, but I'd, fit, I'd have moose. I mean, it'd make him a little mountain. Rub my hands together like this as soon as I get out of the shower. I'm just wondering if you do it this way. I put it in my hair. Uh, we're already different, right? I put it in my hair. And then I, in those days, it was cool if you shaved like just this part of your hair. Do you guys remember that? And, and then I'd pop it back and forth like this. Pop, 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 pop. All the curls. Pop, 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 pop. And however it stays. And then I'd grab hairnet hairspray. Does anyone? You spray hairnet on anything, it will not move till Jesus comes back. I would spray hairnet until you are coughing. I could not see myself in the mirror. That's the cool thing about hairnet. You can hold it down for hours. You ever notice that? Just hold it. Does anyone here use hairnet? Come on, raise your hand. Is hair... Love hairnet. So, and, and I just leave it. I can remember the old Frankie. I can remember him. But the way I used to talk back then, the way I used to think back then, when I look back on that person, it doesn't even feel like the old me. It feels like it was a different me. It feels like that was so long ago. It feels like it was almost another life ago. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. It just seems so, I can't believe I thought that way. I can't believe I acted that way. Have you ever thought back on yourself and you embarrass yourself? You're like, oh, geez. You just get embarrassed. I've laid in bed before and put the pillow over my head when I think about some of the things I did. But that was the old you. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you have a new life now. There's a new you. So so stay focused. Stay laser focused on God. I talked about this a little bit last Sunday. I'm going to bring it up again just for those of you that weren't here. Kids, babies, and toddlers, they see differently than we do. See, uh, I read a, a sociologist uh, a report. Um, she was a, a psychologist. She was a doctor. She was studying um, how babies think. 
And she said the contrast, the difference, is that adults have a spotlight consciousness. They focus in on one thing and everything else just kind of blackens out around us. But kids, they have a lantern mentality, which means everything stays bright. Now, we call that, you know, not paying attention. Well, actually, they're paying better attention than we are. They, they just, they, they see other things. And what Paul is saying is, in, in my own vernacular, don't get so spotlight focused on this world because it's passing away. It's going away. Uh, let me read something. I read this last night. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. It's, it's so fascinating how he writes. He, he reads like this. A pigeon, speaking of a bird, a pigeon oppressed by excessive thirst saw a goblet of water painted on a signboard. Not supposing it to be only a pitcher, she flew towards it with a loud whirr and unwittingly dashed against the signboard and jarred herself terribly. Having broken her wings by the blow, she fell to the ground and was killed by one of the bystanders. The mockeries of the world are many, and those who are deluded by them not only miss the joys they're looking for, but in their eager pursuit of vanity bring ruin upon their souls. We call the dove silly to be deceived by a picture, however cleverly painted it was. But the epitaph shall we apply to those who are duped by the transparent false allurements of this world. Now he's so much more poetic than I am. That's why I read it word for word. But he says so clearly, don't be duped. Don't be duped. Uh, is there anyone here interested in the Floyd Mayweather Pacquiao fight this weekend? Is there anyone interested in it? All right, about four of us. That's awesome. Um, I was watching a, a story on Sports Center about one of the boxers, Floyd Mayweather, and they were showing his cars. He's got like 20 something cars, like Ferraris, Bugattis, Bentleys, you name it, he's got it. He got out of prison uh, or jail. I don't think he actually went to prison. He went to jail for, he was supposed to be there for 90 days. He was only there for 60 days because he said the diet was not conducive for his athletic physique. And that worked. The diet was not conducive. Okay, anyway, you guys got it. So they let him out 30 days early. He gets out and he goes, man, I really learned my lesson. And to remind me of the lesson that I learned, I don't know what lesson it was, I, I'm going to go buy a white Bentley. He's got like 23 cars. And I'm, I, I was watching the interview and they were doing the interview in front of his garage and I was looking over his shoulder and I was like, my goodness, two or three of those cars or maybe one of those cars is, is worth more than everything I own. And I'm backing up and I'm like, everything he owns is going to be gone along with my stuff. All of our stuff. 
Now, he may get to be able to ride down the road with his rag top down so his hair can blow, whatever, in his convertible. <laughs> yeah, I went there. Um, he can ride, but that's going to burn. It's all going. So Paul is saying, stay focused. Here we go. This, uh, this is the, the second. I've just got a, maybe four or five I'm going to read. But here's a chunk of scriptures. Verse number five. It says this. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Have nothing to do, what he's saying is, have nothing to do with porn on the internet. Have nothing to do with having a sexual relationship with people that you're not married to. Have nothing to do with these things. Impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, what's so interesting is when we read the Bible, it sounds so different than the theology that people are passing around today. The theology that I hear about, I don't know if you've heard about this type of theology, it's a grace-only theology, meaning, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay, Jesus loves you, do whatever you want to do, live whatever you, however you want to live, I promise you, Jesus loves you, he's got mercy, he's got grace. Has anyone heard that theology? It's funny how when you actually read the Bible, it doesn't sound anything at, like that at all. It's amazing what we learn when we actually look at God and say, well, what is it that you like? What is it that you want? See, there's a few terms I'd like for us to, to, to grasp. There's a term called um, flagrant sins. I've talked about this several times before, but I want to bring it up again. A flagrant sin is when you know that something's wrong and you're going to do it anyway. I don't care. I do not care. I don't care. It's, it's, it just it is what it is. And I just think God's going to forgive me, so that's fine. It's a flagrant sin, much like in when I've illustrated it in the past. I've talked about it being a flagrant foul in basketball. It's a premeditated, premeditated flagrant. I'm doing it. This, it is what it is. That is the same mentality that Judas had. He, I'm going to do it. And afterwards, he was remorseful, but he wasn't repentant. He was just remorseful. Those things is crystal clear. It stirs up the anger of God. We can't make a mockery of it. However, when it's not a flagrant sin, it's a sin that you did, you thought it, you said it, you, you whatever it. And you back up and you say, God, I'm sorry. I am struggling in this area. I don't want to live like this. Uh, help me. See, there's a big difference between weakness and evil. There's a difference between being weak. You just say, God, I'm weak in this area. It's a very different from flagrant sins. We can't make a mockery of it. And so here we go. Weakness. In sinfulness, there's, there, there's a contrast there. Verse 7, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice behavior, 
slander. See, this is why Wednesday nights is so important. We literally unpack the Bible. Slander. In other words, don't talk bad about people. Don't do it. Slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old nature, all of its wicked deeds. That's the old you. Don't, don't, don't act like the old you. You're the new you. Step into it. Walk into it. Verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know what your creator and become like him. Learn to know your creator and become like him. There's a process of learning. In other words, um, did you learn geometry or did you learn um, uh, multiplication the first day you showed up to class? No, you had to learn it. And there's a process that you and I are constantly in of learning more about God. What is it that you like? What is it that you want me to do? Just this afternoon, I was in that room right across, right around the corner there, and I was on my knees, and I was telling God, tell me what you want me to do. Teach me how to think. Teach me how to think. Now, some of you may say to yourself, Frankie, um, you're the senior pastor. Uh, you've been doing this for nearly 20 years. You should have it down by now. Well, I don't. I don't. I'm anointed to preach it, but I got to live it just like everybody else. Is it okay to be honest? I got to live it like everybody else. God, help me. Teach me. Reveal it to me. There's times where I hear from God and I know it's God. I'll bet my last dollar it's God. And then there's other times where I'm like, oh, I hope that's God. Are you with me? Are you guys out there? Are you with me? It's like, I hope that's God. Well, I want the percentage to change. I want it. I, I want it like Moses said, he sat down and talked to God face to face as a friend talks to a friend. Well, hello? I'm, I'm ready. Help me hear you. Help me understand you. Oh, that I may apprehend that which has apprehended you. Help me. This is what he's saying here. Let me read this. This is, um, I forgot who wrote this. I just uh, pulled it out of my archive notes. It reads like this. A man was passing along the street and saw a blind boy. Seated on his father's knee, holding in his hand a kite string. The kite flying away in the air. The man said, is it any satisfaction to you, my lad, to fly that kite when you cannot see? Oh, yes, sir, he replied. I cannot see it, but I can feel it pull. See, there's something about God that just pulls on you. And some of you can feel it right now as I'm saying these words. You can feel it pull. You can feel this desire to be close to him. That want that you have to be closer to him. 
to be able to hear his voice a little bit clearer. That's God putting that in you. He puts the desire in you and then pulls you. And you can't see him, but you can feel the pull. Not at me if you can feel the pull. You can feel it. And this is what Paul continues to challenge us in. Number th- verse number 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. And this is a big one. This is, now, when I, was taking, when I was writing notes today, I was like, oh boy, this one's more for me than for anybody in the room. But here we go. Make allowance for each other's faults. This is verse 13 of chapter 3. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. All right, I got a few thoughts on this. Number one, I'm not any happier than you are that that's in there, but it's in there. It's in there. I've got idiots and schmagools in my life too, all right? Come on, raise your hand. There's some people that you just go, I'm only going to forgive you because Jesus wants me to because you are so stupid. You don't... Are Anyone, are you with me? So it, we're going to read it and we're going to put on the new you, right? We're gonna, I, I'm, I'm doing it too. Here's the thing. When he, when he says these words, to overlook, to make allowance for another's faults, faults their weaknesses... What I felt the Lord kind of revealed to me is when somebody makes a mistake, I have to be able, watch this, to overlook it without making them pay for it first. Did you get that? I'm going to forgive him, but I'm going to let him know that I'm ticked, then I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to make allowance for his fault, but I'm going to let him know he's at fault. Now, is that really making allowance for the fault? It's like, hey, I am so ticked off at you, but I'm going to forgive you. Is that really making an allowance? Making them pay for it emotionally and mentally, and then forgive them. I don't know that that's what he is intending by this scripture. What I think that he's intending, because of the banner of love that he waves through all of his epistles, what I think he's trying to say is hey, of all the gifts you could ever have, love is the greatest one. You could ever have. And love takes this filthy sin and covers it and pretends like it never even happened without making them pay first. The Bible says to love each other as Christ loves the church. What if when we stood in heaven, Jesus looked at us and said, I did tell you that I was going to forgive you of all your sins, but before I forgive you of all your sins, we're going to talk about them one by one. Before I throw it from the east to the west, before I cover it with the blood, 
I want to talk about what were you thinking? I don't think that's what God had in mind. And so when I felt the Holy Spirit just trouble me when I was putting these notes together, it was like, Frankie, are you able to overlook it and to forgive them without them ever knowing that they had a fault? I'm, not, I'm just dealing with that. I'm not, I wish I could say, yes, Lord, I can do that. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Does anyone here have anything you're working on? Oh, you're perfect. Oh, okay. Oh, my bad, my bad. We got some uh, blank pages back here. Why don't you just finish writing the Bible? (laughs) All right, here we go. Um, One of the things I did think about is, is when I am offended and... You know, when I got into the ministry, my mother and the Lord, which I might talk about later if I have time, her name's Jeannie Mayo. She said, Frankie, if you're going to get into the ministry, you need to have heart, a heart like a child and have skin like a rhino. Um, when I need help overcoming an offense, uh, I have this little trick that I use. Maybe you can use it as well. I try to raise my soul so high that the offense can't reach it. What does that mean? When I'm offended or I'm hurt or I'm mad, I try to go to a place in my prayer time. And sometimes it takes five minutes, sometimes it takes 55 minutes. But I try to go to a place in my prayer time where my heart and my perspective begins to go higher and higher and higher that the offense can't go where my heart just went. See, that's one of the cool things about prayer. When you begin to pray, you don't help God see the problem the way you see it. Prayer helps us see the problem the way he sees it. Prayer will either change you for the situation or he'll change the situation for you. But most of the time, it's you for the situation. See, oftentimes, I'll walk into my prayer time talking about an issue that I have. God, do you see what is happening to me? I am so stressed out of my mind. If you would just send one of those big angels with big wings and a big sword and just start chopping people, that would help my situation so much. You don't pray like that? At some point in my prayer time, while I'm worshiping him, I'll begin to see the situation from an aerial view instead of seeing the situation the way I do. See, peace, peace doesn't come from any other way other than just seeing it differently. When you see it differently, all of a sudden the peace sets in. So let, let's continue to unpack this. Verse 15 um, it reads like this. And let peace that comes from God rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. 
Say, always be thankful. Say it like, like an Italian. Always be thankful. One, two, three. That was good enough for a Wednesday. Always be thankful. This is what he's saying. He's saying, let peace rule inside of you. Now, the trouble with that is, is it's difficult to have peace when you're living in a storm. Right? It's difficult to have peace when you're living in a storm. But when I look at Jesus... And how he conquers storms. When you learn to sleep through a storm, those are the storms that you conquer. How do we fall asleep during a storm? How are we so relaxed and we can get rid of that anxiety? How does that happen? The only way that that can happen is if we do what the last part of that verse said. And that is to saturate our whole world with thankfulness. See, there's three things thankfulness does. Number one is it makes sense of the past. When you're thankful, thank you, Jesus. And it doesn't matter what you're thankful for. Just start making things up. Thank you for the carpet. Thank you for these shoes. Thank you for these jeans. And then all of a sudden, it'll get more substance to it. Just get the ball rolling. Thank you for my house. And then all of a sudden, you'll start thanking him for more significant things. See, a lot of times we don't pray because we don't know where to start. Are you with me? You don't know where to start. Like, how do I start praying? And I don't want to take for granted and just assume everybody here prays an hour a day. I don't want to make that assumption. Uh, I know that there's people in this room, you would pray if you knew how to start. You walk into your house and you go, thank God I have an air conditioning. See, right now it's a little bit warm in this sanctuary because one of our units went down. I know what you're thinking. Hey, just last month one of our units went down. I know. We got eight units up there. It's like they take turns going down. You walk into your house and go, thank God for the air conditioning. You open up the air conditioning and you're, thank God for the air conditioning. Thank you, thank you. And what it does, the more you say thank you, you start seeing the past differently. You start seeing, man, God was back there. Thank you for taking care of me. So first of all, thanks helps you see the past differently and it brings peace for today thank you thank you you may say but i i've got a report from the doctor and it's scaring me to death i know but fill your mouth with thank you i haven't heard from my son i haven't heard from my husband in weeks i know i'm not minimizing that that's a really big deal it's a huge deal we get calls at the church all the time from people that are having trouble paying their mortgage. and I'm, It's a big deal. Financial worries and stress are a big deal. If you've never had them, you don't know what they're like. I've had them. You have a financial stress. My wife and I have been married for 13 years. We've had our share. When you have a financial stress, it's always in the back of your mind. It's never not there. Do you know what I'm saying? never not there how do we get these how do we how do we move on you fill your mouth with thanks thank you 
for this house. Thank you for the carpet. Thank you for my kids. Thank you that I'm not in a hospital. Thank you that I live in America. Even better, I live in Texas. Thank you. If you have a job, thank them for that job. If you don't have a job, say thank you for the job that you're sending me. So it makes sense of the past. It brings peace for today. And number three, it gives you vision for the future. See, as you start thanking him, God starts showing you glimpses of what he has for you. I know this is hard for us to embrace sometimes because our plans for ourselves are so good, right? But God's plans for you are better than your plans for you. I know that's hard for us to embrace because we think if what we want would just happen, everything would be okay. But oftentimes, we're asking God for a sandbox, and he's saying, I'm not going to give you the sandbox, I'm taking you to the beach. Now, how does that happen? We just keep saying, thank you, thank you. Sometimes I don't know what to thank him about, so I just say thank you 700 times in a row. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If I said thank you lately, thank you. What does that do? It makes sense of the past. It brings peace for the present. And it gives you vision for the future. That is when peace starts setting in because the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and say, all those things that you just thanked them for, if God can do all of that, he can surely do what you're worried about. That's what thank you does. Have a thankful heart. Let's go to a few more verses. Verse number 18 reads like this. Wives. So if you're a wife, listen up. If you're not a wife, but you're a single lady, listen up. All the single ladies, listen up. Submit to your husbands. As fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Submit to your husbands. In other words, your husband is the leader of the household. Now, we might have a lot of emails in my inbox tomorrow morning. I would follow him, but he's a jerk. I would follow him, but he's not a Christian. Here's the thing. Let me just say, if you are married to a guy who's not a Christian, he's still the leader of your household. He is. Unless he is asking you to sin, he's the leader of your household. <laughs> I hope you didn't look at your wife when you said that. Because <laughs> she's going to black your eye. <laughs> All right. Let me say this. This is, this is a thing about, about wives that is so amazing. Oftentimes, and I'm going to get to husbands in a minute here, okay? So those of you ladies and you're going, I'm going to get on the men here in a minute. This is the thing that if women knew how much power they had, they would be in every single major office this world has to offer. 
You ladies are so powerful, it's scary. It's scary. Uh, Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. This guy was driving on the road. I've shared this before. He's driving on the road, and um, he was in the car with his wife, and this guy was the mayor of the city. And he's sitting in the car with his wife, and his wife and him, they look out the window, and they see this guy digging a ditch. And his wife said, the wife of the mayor pointed at the guy and said, I I know that guy digging that ditch. I used to date him in high school. And the the mayor said, aren't you glad you didn't marry him? And she said, well, if I would have married him, he'd be the mayor. (laughs) See, I'm telling you, women are powerful. I'll tell you another um, antidote. This one's real. I was uh, that one. I think is real too. Uh, but this one happened to me. I was at. Uh, let me think. I think I was at the Cheesecake Factory. I was at Landry's like five years ago, sitting outside on the patio. It was right after church. I was sitting with a family from our church. And there was these two teenage girls that were going home with that family to go spend the afternoon with them. And we were having an adult conversation, and we weren't really including the two teenage girls, and and the guy that I was with wanted to include them, and so he looked at the two teenage girls, and he says, so what are you guys going to do once you get older? Because they were both about 16. They were giggling, and they were playing with their phone, and they had all this, what are you guys going to do when you get older? And they both started giggling, and she goes, well, we're going to marry somebody rich, both of us. We've already talked about we're both going to marry somebody rich. And the guy, very successful, he said, well, why don't you marry somebody poor and get rich together? See, women, if you believe in your man, your man has not shown you the best of him. Now, some of you might be thinking, not my man. He used to have a six-pack, married him, now he's got a keg. Not my man. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Your man has not shown you the best of him. There's more in there than what you know. It's your responsibility to call it out of him. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's his responsibility to call it out of me. We're going to get to them. (laughs) We're going to get to the men in a minute. Just hold your horses. (laughs) <laughs> this, pull it out of them pull it out of them pull it out of him you say I don't know how to do that oh yeah you do you women are geniuses you can play with our head like a yo-yo yeah you do now let's get to the men There's nothing there. (laughs) Well, let's get to the man. (sighs) Husbands. (laughs) Love your wives and never treat them harshly. Love your wives and never treat them harshly. Let me see if I can uh, say it like this. Wives should make a man feel good 
when they come home. Husbands should make wives feel sad when they leave. Men, ladies are like a rose. They're beautiful, but they're fragile. And they only get as beautiful as the soil and the weather around it will help it be. When we stand in front of God, I believe God's going to ask us about our wife first. You know how I know that? Because you're one flesh with her. And you are the first thing on the agenda when you stand before God. Let's go a little bit further. Verse 20. Children. How many of you are a child of somebody? So I'm talking to everybody. That's great. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. The funny thing is, is that all of us are somebody's kids. Now, if you have a parent that is alive, your aim should be to do what you can do, all that you can do to please them. Now, trust me, (laughs) that we all have parents and we have those moments where you think if I were to give her the Grand Canyon my mom still wouldn't be pleased (laughs) let's not get caught up you know what I've noticed about my parents I hope neither one of them ever hear this because this is very transparent and embarrassing but when I was Younger, I didn't see any flaws or faults that my parents had. But now that I'm older and I've, I have my own likes and my own desires and my own style and what I think is, what I've noticed is now I see their faults that I didn't see before. And so I'm more apt to look at those faults and to judge them because now I'm a little bit older and I see them now. So it's a little bit more difficult for me to honor them than it was when I was like, let's say five. I thought my parents were king of the world well now that I'm older I see some faults that I didn't see when I was a kid so now it's a little bit harder sometimes it's easy for us to honor our parents other times it's very very hard the way we honor them determines our physical health in the Bible. It says, honor your parents so that you will live a long life. 
Now, if you don't live a long life, what does that mean? That means you got sick from something. To honor them. Well, what they did is not honorable. That has nothing to do with how much you honor them. See, unforgiveness is unforgivable. Honoring them determines our own future. Now, I didn't know I was going to feel what I feel right now. I didn't know that I was going to hit a button. I have other points here, but I didn't know that I was going to hit a button for some of you. Some, for some of you, this is a really big deal. Because I just feel the Holy Spirit pulling on my heart. And so it's hard for you to honor them. I talked to a guy this morning. I called him up and I said, hey, he's around 53, 54. I said, hey, how you doing? I know that your sister passed away earlier this week. How are you? Talk to me. He said, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. The hardest part is, is my dad hasn't seen me or my sister in years. And he just, he had his new girlfriend call me up and say, hey, send me the birth certificate because I, I need to get the insurance money. He goes, you know, it's really hard for me to have, I just have to laugh at my dad at this point because if I don't, I'll just cry. So I understand a lot of our parents are not what we hoped they would be. But I want to encourage you to come before, I want to encourage you two things. Number one, to honor them anyway. Honor them anyway. And number two, here's the big one. I have a mother in the Lord named Jeannie Mayo. She adopted me when I was like 19. And I would ask her, how come you give me so much of you? Why do you do that? You're not my real mom. And she goes, you know, I never had a dad. And my mom wasn't really that great. So I decided I was going to live my whole life giving away what I never had. And that's where I'm here. So I got two things to say. Go ahead and give your parents what they may or may not deserve for your own health. But turn around and be a father or a mother to somebody, the kind of father or mother that you wish you had. Be a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. Look across the church one day and say, that boy wouldn't be here if it weren't for me. That family wouldn't be here if it weren't for me.